0: Hello and welcome to episode 230 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story comes from the Yorkshire coast, and it's a terrible story about two deaths, which left many questions unanswered. It also returns to one of our major themes in this podcast, the element of chance and being unfortunate enough to cross paths with the wrong person at the wrong time. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially these new members of this exclusive club. That is Frank Southwell, Steve Perkins and Paula Jefferson. Thank you all so much for your support, it's much appreciated. If you're not part of the team yet, why don't you join us at patreon.com slash a UK crime. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Have you played Best Fiends yet? If not, you really need to make it part of your life, so download it for free today. With Best Fiends, the fun really does never end. There are literally thousands of levels to play and tons of cute characters to collect. If you're tired of playing the same old puzzle games, then start playing Best Fiends, as there's always loads of variety with new challenges, characters and events. I love the puzzles. Not just for me, but when I've played with friends and family during lockdown. Which is great, it means I can have fun with those close to me, whilst I'm still not able to meet them face to face. And trust me, it gets super competitive. Another reason I love Best Fiends is that you don't need the internet to play. This means that whenever I have 15 or 20 minutes free, I can play the game. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. So let's set some context for today's story with the much anticipated Guest of the Month and Year game. Top of the UK music chart this month was Will I Am featuring Cody Wise with It's My Birthday. In the US, the top spot was held by Iggy Azela with Fancy. And in Australia, the top spot was All Day with Startup Cult. In the news this month, in the Football World Cup, Germany beat Brazil 7 1. The death toll from the West African Ebola outbreak passed 500. 44 people were killed after TransAsia Airways Flight 222 crashed into buildings in Taiwan. And the 2014 Tour de France started in the home of global football, Leeds. In true crime news, Andy Coulson, the former News of the World editor, was sent to prison for 18 months for a conspiracy to hack phones. And Rolf Harris was sentenced to five years and nine months in prison after being found guilty of 12 counts of indecent assault, but was told he wouldn't face trial over allegations of downloading sexual images of children. Did you guess the month and year? It was July 2014. Today's story comes from Bridlington, a town on the north-east Yorkshire coast, about 28 miles north of Hull and 34 miles east of York. It is best known for always being freezing whenever I go there, and shellfish with the largest lobster catch in Europe, as well as tourism. Artist David Hockney has a house here, and there was a dreadful incident in 2013 when his PA, 23-year-old Dominic Elliott, died after drinking drain cleaner at the end of a 24-hour drink and drug binge at the house. In July 2014, the rumours began to circulate around Bridlington that something terrible had happened. There had been significant police activity at a guest house in that part of town where there were lots of B&Bs and hotels, a couple of blocks away from the sea. As usual, when the whispers of murder began to be talked about, people were disbelieving. After all, murder never happens at a place like Bridlington, does it? But it was soon confirmed that the landlady of the Moray Land Guest House 49-year-old Bay Hunter, had been murdered in her home. She'd been found dead in one of their bedrooms with a single stab wound to the chest. And detectives already had a suspect, 53-year-old John Heald. At a police conference, it was announced over 150 police officers were actively involved in the search for Heald, who was not just suspected of murder, but also a violent rape in Sheffield on Sunday the 13th of July, just a few days earlier. The district commander for Rotherham, Chief Superintendent Jason Harwin, said, It's imperative if you see him, or someone you think is him, that you do not approach him, but contact police immediately on 999. If you are harbouring this man, you are committing an offence. Don't try to hide this man through misguided loyalties. You need to call police and turn him in. Hield was described as 5 foot 11 tall, of slim build, with blue eyes and short, mousy brown hair. His right ear is pierced and he has tattoos on his hands and arms. But detectives didn't believe he knew Bay Carter, adding The family have only lived in Bridlington for a short period of time, having returned to the country from China two years ago. They've found a guest house and have been happy there. They've become members of the community. This has not only had a huge effect on the family, but also on the community of guest house owners in Bridlington the sooner we find John healed, the easier it will be for them. And it was true that although new in the area, Bay was very well known and liked. One friend and neighbour told the Hull mail, I knew Bay very well and we were over there every day to look after Terry's mum who was 88 years old. Bay was a unique lady who was very friendly and always asked you to try her Chinese food. She was lovely and why someone would want to hurt her, I just don't know. She was so kind and gentle. And there was also genuine fear amongst those running guest houses, with one owner quoted as saying, People don't realise the dangers there can be. Sometimes you take people in and sometimes you don't. It is a split decision that is needed. This is going to have an effect on other people in the guest house industry in Bridlington. You start to think whether it's all worth it. As the public appeals for information relating to heels continued, Detectives were trying to piece together the lives of Bay Carter and her husband Terry and just why healed might have killed her. Terry told them how he first met Bay in 1993 at her gig in the UK and he'd been transfixed by her beauty. He'd raised the courage to chat to her and instantly realised what a warm, friendly and loving person she was and the pair were soon an item. Just about a year later they moved to Bay's home country of China where they married and had two children. But after 20 years, the couple wanted to come back to the UK, so they bought the B&B in Bridlington and along with their children, they settled into making this business work in the pretty coastal resort. It was a nice place to live, and with a steady stream of visitors, it was a business they could make work, with Terry taking the bookings, and Bay effectively running all other aspects of the B&B. Detectives listened as Terry told them that earlier that month, Terry's mum wasn't very well in hospital and he wanted to visit her. The guest house was pretty quiet with just one guest already booked in, uh, John Davis, and a couple of cyclists. So they agreed that Terry would go to the hospital for the day. When he got home, it was all quiet in the guest house. There was no sign at all of his wife, which was odd, so he called her mobile and there was no response. He tried to tell himself, as you do, that all was fine and there must be a simple explanation as he went from room to room, looking for his wife. When he got to room 5 it was locked. This didn't feel right at all, as all the rooms that hadn't been sold for the evening were always left unlocked. As Terry got the master key and opened the door to the room, he'd a sense of dread about what he may find, and his worst fears were confirmed as lying on the floor was the lifeless body of his 48-year-old wife. He said she was lying perfectly on her back. Her hands were folded on her chest and looked bloody. I wondered why. Her eyes were open. I knew she was dead at that point. He could also see she had what looked like marks on her head and it was clear to him that she hadn't died of natural causes. The post-mortem examination would later show that Bay Carter had been stabbed once through the chest and that the degree of internal bleeding was so severe that she would have died immediately. Her face had been stamped on by her killer after the murder. Detectives quickly ruled the cyclist out as suspects which left one man, the other guest at the B&B, the one who had left very quickly on the day of the murder, John Davis. But why? What could possibly have been the motive? Was it robbery? Was it a sexual motive? Or had they known each other and was there some other connection? Police were quickly able to establish that John Davis wasn't the real name of the third guest. He was 53-year-old John Heald. He'd been missing from his home in nearby Rotherham after he had attacked at knife point and raped a woman and then left as he was scared of reprisals for what he had done. In particular, he would have be been terrified that the family of his victim would take their own revenge for his actions. CCTV enabled detectives to trace his movements after leaving Bridlington and he headed south to Beverley, just outside Hull, where he stayed at another B&B. But when detectives arrived, they were too late as he left very early in the morning, this time heading for Mexborough. The trail went cold as he moved away from staying in guest houses fearing that he was being tracked. Instead, in the decent summer weather, he slept rough in the woods, and detectives knew that with his picture being shown in the media so often, and as they knew roughly where he was likely to be, it was just a matter of time before he would emerge from the woods and be recognised from the many wanted posters and images. And sure enough, just five days later, he returned to the area he knew the best, Rotherham, for a decent breakfast at Angel's Cafe. The owner immediately recognised him, and knowing that he was a wanted man, as soon as she served him his food, she dialed 999. Immediately after paying and leaving the cafe, Heald was intercepted by police officers and arrested. Heald wasn't unknown to the police, but there was nothing in his history which suggested he was capable of murder. In 1983, when he was just aged 22, he was sent to prison for six months for possession of an offensive weapon, threatening behaviour and assaulting a police officer. At 23, not long after getting out of prison, he was fined for threatening behaviour. And the following year, he went back to prison for six months for two counts of causing actual bodily harm and burglary. He was back in front of the beak again for threatening behaviour in 1985 and he had his last spell in prison for a charge of disorder in 1992. In police interviews, Heald was giving nothing away, sticking to no comment. Only at one time did he give a much more thorough answer, and that was when he was told that the detectives knew he'd been in the room, where B was later found dead, as his fingerprints were all over the door of room 5. He told detectives that this was just because when he first arrived, he checked out the place a little, just having a little nosy around and had opened some of the doors to the rooms that weren't being let. But after that revelation, he reverted to no comment. The Texas felt at this stage that they really needed a break and it duly arrived for a very unexpected source, a friend of Heald's. For a man who'd shown himself so unwilling to share any information except for the minimum, it was strange that a friend of his, John Ward, came forward to say that on the night of the murder, Heald had texted him to say that he had killed someone. His friend hadn't mentioned it as he didn't believe him. The text read, I've just blown it, mate. Think I've just killed someone. It got on top fighting with two blokes in bed and breakfast place. The knife out. Ended up stabbing a fucking woman. She got in my way. I'm fucked now, mate. Think she's dead. What the fuck do I do now? May as well top myself, mate. Oscar Wilde, he wasn't. This fitted with what detectives increasingly believed had happened. On that Saturday morning, Heald had been drinking heavily, fearful of being recognised for the earlier attack on the woman in Sheffield. When he'd arrived back at the hotel, he was still paranoid about being recognised and attacked by the family of the woman that he'd assaulted. They thought that Bay had innocently tapped him on the shoulder and he'd quickly turned around and with one lunge of the knife had stabbed her. Then panicking, he had dragged the body to room 5, locking the door with Bay's keys, before fleeing the guesthouse. Still, he would refuse to talk. He would soon have his opportunity to do so at Hull Crown Court, when in June 2017, he was facing a charge of the murder of Bay Carter, and also facing a jury on three counts of rape, against the same victim for the attacks carried out in Sheffield on the 13th of July, 2014. Heald denied murder, but accepted he was responsible for Bay Carter's death, which he says was an accident. He said he was devastated and regretted what he had done, saying, I took someone's life and shouldn't have done. He continued to deny the three allegations of rape, claiming that the sex was consensual the court heard that he'd raped the woman several times at knife point at her home on the 13th of July. Bay's husband, Terry Carter, was in court with his family for the full nine days of the trial. He spoke lovingly about how his wife had been a fantastic artist and a perfect partner, saying, I couldn't see her being confrontational with anyone. She would back down. She wouldn't know what to do. She could be vulnerable and too trusting of others. Asked whether he'd been to the guesthouse before or knew Bay Carter, Hild confirmed he'd never been there or met her before. It was pure chance that had taken him there, as he was depressed and wanted to get away. As he thought that people were talking about him, due to the rapes in Sheffield, which he continued to deny, he told how two men had called at the Murrowland Hotel who'd wanted to slash him. This caused him to panic, and when Bay Carter tapped him on the shoulder. As he was trying to leave the hotel, he panicked and in his words, she tried to grab the knife and there was a push and pull struggle. I did not intend to stab her. I did not realise the knife had stabbed her. I thought she was still breathing. When asked how the 18 centimeter blade went through her breastbone and into her aorta, Heel told the jury, I don't know. I'm trying to wonder how it happened. It happened that quickly. When cross-examined, Hill told the hushed court how Bay had screamed as she collapsed and he then dragged her into a room before locking the door and hiding the keys under the mattress of his room at the guest house. From there he headed to the station, stopping to buy a mobile phone at a local Tesco's and texting his friend on the 10-minute walk to the station, telling him how he'd killed somebody. The prosecuting QC asked why he hadn't called 999 anonymously on the way to the station, to which Heald replied, I didn't know the name of the street or the hotel. The prosecution QC wasn't satisfied with how his account of what had happened explained the stamps to the head suffered by Bay and asked, After attacking her, stifling her screams and stabbing her, you put her to the floor and you stamped on her face three times. That would explain all her injuries, wouldn't it? But in reply, Heald denied stamping on Bay's face. When asked to explain about the three overlying shoe marks on her face which had fractured her hyoid bone, Heald said that he must have stumbled on her. Moving to the previous attack, Heald also said Heald also said that he'd no idea why his rape victim had suffered a swelling to the side of her face claiming that her lip lacerated in two places was a result of kissing too hard. The prosecution QC told Heald he didn't believe him, saying He sought to manipulate his way out of everything. He added, you're a liar. You lie at every opportunity. When you're found out, you lie even more. Heald told the court how he had tried to take his own life whilst on the run. He said he had attempted suicide over three nights by swallowing more than 300 tablets. He told the court, I didn't want to live, I still don't, adding that when he left the cafe on the day of his arrest, his next stop was to buy some more tablets to kill himself. After nine days, the jury were sent out to consider their verdicts. When they returned the following day, after just two hours of deliberation, the judge addressed them, saying, Ladies and gentlemen, I am now in a position to put you fully in the picture. The defendant committed suicide last night. I was advised this morning, and I have heard some evidence about it in your absence to confirm that he is deceased. You are thus discharged, of course, from any further deliberation in this case, and an appropriate order will be made. I can see from your faces that this comes as quite a shock. It came as a shock to me too this morning. Sir Heald had finally been successful in taking his own life, having been found hanging from the curtain rail in his shared cell at Hull Prison at 5.50am that morning. There was a strange mood in the courtroom as this news was digested. A sense of Heald having cheated the families of Bay Carter and the woman he had raped with justice. It's a difficult situation, said the leading detective. My thoughts are with the victim of the sexual offences that John Heald is alleged to have committed and of the family of Bay Carter, who will now not get closure from this process. I think like myself and everyone else involved in the case, Mr Carter is shocked and disappointed that he won't receive a conclusion to this trial. He's been here and listened to the evidence. He's very satisfied with the police investigation. Now he needs to go away and consider the circumstances. Terry Carter himself later added, What's happened is very upsetting. I'm angry about it. We don't have an end to it now. So what do you make of what you've heard today? Anyone who takes strangers into their own homes in a hospitality business knows somewhere in the back of their mind that there's a danger from men like Heald. One guesthouse owner said, In the back of your mind you always think something like this could happen but you hope that if you do come across an unsavoury character, you will get some kind of warning. But here, there was no warning. Bay Carter could never have known just how dangerous Heald was. There was no clue. And due to this random misfortune, Bay lost her life, leaving her husband Terry, two children and wider family and friends to live without her. Our sympathies, of course, lie squarely with them and with the woman who was raped by Heald, and her friends and family too. Although we have no sympathy for Heald, there were lots of disappointing aspects of his death. Mental health assessments weren't provided properly at the prison. Plenty of other signs were missed too, as he told those with a duty of care for him that he was at rock bottom, stressed out, and would rather die than remain in prison. And then his son only found out about his death from the media. Of course, following this, there were numerous reports into this, that, the other, and numerous recommendations. There are so many people, vulnerable people, who take their own lives in UK prisons. Not all have committed terrible crimes like healed. Some are young and frightened, and have been sent there for relatively minor offences. And of course, many are struggling with their mental health. I know I sound like a stuck record here, but maybe if we stop sending so many people to prison and it wasn't our default option for seemingly every single crime, we'll be able to offer more to those who do need to be kept in prison. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group. There's about 62,000 of us there now. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do support me at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Lots of bonus episodes, videos, watch me recording a podcast live, and a ton more bonus content. That's patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that's all for me for this week, after this most strange week of scorching temperatures, and now minus degrees. So on that temperature-based bombshell, I'll leave you for now. So until we speak again next week, please do take it easy. And most of all, despite all the others, I know it's all the others. I get it. I feel it myself too. But please rise above it all and stay classy. Cheerio for now.